0: Greetings from the Bluegrass State. That's Kentucky, if y'all didn't know. We want to tell you about the hottest new podcast on the block, Coffee and Cases. If you fancy yourself an at-home detective,
1: if you find yourself yelling at the TV during that new true crime documentary,
0: then you, my friend, are a certified sleuthhound,
1: Just like us.
0: On Coffee and Cases podcast, you'll hear about the missing, the murdered, and the unsolved. But the cases you've rarely if ever, heard about. All from the perspective of two teacher friends, rule followers, and self-proclaimed scaredy cats. Join me, Allison, and me, Maggie, each week as we take on cases that are often overlooked but are screaming for justice.
1: Finally, a true crime podcast where you don't have to
0: monitor the foul language. Coffee in Cases is a true crime guilty pleasure that you don't actually have to feel guilty about. Check out Coffee and Cases every Thursday for a new episode on your favorite podcasting app.
2: This podcast discusses cases in which a crime may have occurred. It's important to advise that all parties mentioned or generally referred to in this podcast are presumed innocent until proven guilty by law. Opinions expressed on this podcast don't necessarily reflect those of the podcast host, Murderish, or Cloud10 Media. If this is your first time listening to the podcast, please stop here and listen to the previous episodes in order so you get the full scope of this wild scam story. In previous episodes of Dirty Money Moves, we unfolded the story of Mary Carol McDonald, a self proclaimed heiress who got her hands on millions of dollars by lying and scheming. We dove into Mary Carol's childhood, her professional career in the TV business, some of her shady associates, and how she managed to get her hands on close to $50 million through elaborate scams and then disappear. In this episode of Dirty Money Moves, the doctors are in. My guests for this episode are Dr. Shiloh and Dr. Scott, forensic psychologists and hosts of LA Not So Confidential podcast. Dr. Shiloh and Dr. Scott are really good friends of mine, and I couldn't wait to bring them on the podcast because my fascination with con artists and most criminals lies in the psychology of it all. I always want to know what might be going on in the brain of someone who can carry out such elaborate scams against people, oftentimes people very close to them, and not lose any sleep over it. Dr. Shiloh and Dr. Scott definitely gave me a lot to think about during our conversation as they broke down topics such as narcissism, psychopathy, Machiavellianism, and so much more. And wait until you hear Dr. Scott's take on those damn scam pies That Mary Carol brought to us at the bank. I guarantee you'll never enjoy the scent of vanilla the same way ever again. I hope you enjoy this deep dive into the psychology of a con artist with Dr. Shiloh and Dr. Scott. Okay, I am here today, you guys, with Dr. Scott and Dr. Shiloh. They are forensic psychologists and co-hosts of the wildly popular LA Not So Confidential podcast, which if you're not listening, you absolutely should be listening. So um, welcome to the show. And also, you guys are my friends. You guys are my homies. We're not just you know who are you again yeah (laughs) see listen you guys this is this is how shiloh is
1: (laughs) jamie stood me up a couple weeks ago so i just have to give her shit
2: (laughs) i did i did we were supposed to go to a really wonderful drag brunch and then somebody had to die and i had to go to a memorial service i hope you feel really bad for saying that now no just kidding
1: (laughs) as if drag brunch doesn't happen four times a day at the same place right We'll make it. The
3: best thing for me is having been in crime con with Jamie and finally, you know, because I met you at the meetup in person a couple of years ago. and We've done a couple of things since then, but then being in person and having the physical energy of seeing Jamie like on a beeline, making eye contact with me all the way across the conference where <laughs> I'm like, oh shit, Jamie's got some dirt. She's going to tell me something. <laughs>
2: listen jamie's always got some dirt she let has me an tell agenda. you
3: <laughs> and you will always have a recipient for that dirt i like uh, my, I'm all ears like let me know what's going part on part
2: of the reason i love you scott that's only part of the reason but yeah you're right that was like the first time we really got to interact you know quite a bit in person and it was so much fun so for, for anybody, real we're like,
1: professionals too so
2: i mean they
3: absolutely are, are but that, are, that but was they're a blast. Fun
2: professionals like that's the way i describe you like you know if somebody were to say oh they're forensic psychologist. So serious. Okay. Now you guys got to meet Shiloh and Scott because they <laughs> are kick-ass at what they do professionally and they are consummate professionals, but they are also really fun. Aww. Like we were going to go to a drag brunch with that. Till, I mean, we were just gonna with have, our kids
1: with like, our kids. Like, so yes,
2: which I have done before, which I will tell that story <laughs> to anybody who wants to hear it. <laughs> Hashtag mom of the year. we those moms. Yes. <laughs> yes. So, okay, you guys, tell me a little bit about your professional backgrounds and your podcast, and then we can dive into the psychology of a con artist.
3: Okay, I will start. I'll give my elevator pitch. I um, was in entertainment here in Los Angeles and Chicago and Alabama prior to that for a couple of decades. I won't say how many. And I um, made the switch. I was like, time ready for something, the next chapter of my life that would. Um, pay a pension basically was what I was looking for big time. And I went back to grad school and did a master's and then decided I wanted to do a doctorate. And part of the doctorate is doing an intense um, training experience that's an entire year, an internship. And I got to meet Dr. Shiloh. Um, She was finishing a doctorate in forensic psychology. uh, And mine was a clinical psychology doctorate with an emphasis in family forensics. And we were both at this site we connected um and it was we I mean, we've been saying this over and over again but it was pretty much within the first hours like oh this is going to be a friend for a long time for sure so I yeah love that. but then our, we so that was years ago and since then we have collaborated on several things we work down the street from each other um i work in collaboration with law enforcement she works directly uh with law enforcement as well but in completely different capacities and we gave birth to our little baby, L.A. Not-So-Confidential.
2: <laughs> yes. And I don't think it's little baby anymore, but I love that you no, describe it that way. Um, I see you guys everywhere. I, I actually should say I hear you guys everywhere. I mean, the they are like the uh, true crime podcast uh, resident experts. I mean, you've been on many other podcasts, you know, with your professional opinions uh, and expertise. And I did, that's why I brought you guys on today, so Um, Well, and
1: it's, you get a two for one and, you know, like Scott was talking about, he has such a unique background just coming from the entertainment world, which loops
2: into Mary Carol McDonald. Absolutely. absolutely. This show
1: very, very well. Um, But I had a law enforcement background. So I am constantly looking through that lens as well with my training and experience and being a cop for seven years and starting to gain some interest in some of the areas that I would go into and research later on. And all of that has molded into how we just pick topics um, and how we go about our research for our own show, as well as when we get to come on other shows and talk about something very specific, like con artists and kind of the psychology behind that.
2: Yeah, and which is why you guys are perfect guests today. I mean, obviously I'm a little biased cuz I really like you guys as friends. Uh, but I definitely want to hear your opinions on, you know, and I understand that you guys can't diagnose anything, you can't really speak directly to anything that's going on in Mary Carol's psyche, but let's just talk in general, you know, about the psychology of a con artist, but I don't know if you guys had a chance to listen to most of the episodes or all yep. of Dirty Money Moves. Maybe we start there and just kind of like, are, is there anything that stood out that we should chat about, you know, from a oh, psychology so standpoint? Yes. Right. So I much. can imagine.
1: Well, I mean, just as a true crime consumer, you know, I think with these, these con artists type crimes, you have a lot of empathy for the victims and so often their lives are just destroyed. This one's unique because I didn't find myself having that reaction because essentially it's it's an entity, it's a corporation, it's a bank, right? So, you know, that's what, what is missing, but not missing in a bad ba- bad way, because what it does, it forces you to really just hone in on Mary Carroll. And you're like, whoa, like what is this all about with this woman? Which we don't see women pulling this off very often, even though. And the the media would have you believe otherwise with some common stories lately. Um, But I just found that it was so nice because I was able to hyper focus on the offender in this case. But having said that, when you break it down, this bank does involve real people making real decisions and clearly, you know, doing that in a way in which we see other victims of swindles kind of falling into that and I think that's what we ask ourselves a lot like how could people fall for that how could you not have these parameters in place Um, so that was just interesting as a side note I, I think it's really what sets apart your show from others is that we kind of don't have to have that that empathy we can really just look at the perpetrator in this case
2: Yeah. And it's a, it's a fair point because, you know, I spoke with a federal prosecutor recently who we Mm -hmm. just dropped that episode on dirty money moves, Catherine. So good. Uh, So I just, I could have talked to her for five hours, but I felt so bad. Keep
3: her on the list. Yes. She's she's great.
2: Amazing. I mean, my wheels were spinning after talking to her, but um, you know, if we're just looking at uh, the bank of California alleged scam, you know, committed by Mary Carroll, you know, that doesn't have a lot of jury appeal although there is a federal prosecutor who sought an indictment and they got it so they're serious about you know um you know bringing justice and 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 uh you know having her prosecuted for her crimes and they are very serious crimes and yeah three of my colleagues got fired they're all fine today i'm ha- very happy to report um so on on its face you know the, the jury appeal of this is just like eh, okay a big bank yeah. lost some money whatever but when you really look at Mary Carol and the emotional damage that she's done, not only to the individuals who she's also scammed um, and also the employees she never paid, right? Some of those people are still trying to collect their money. Um, You also look at the damage she did to her own family, you know, her sons, for example. Absolutely. I mean,
1: the layers are just unending when you start to peel it back. But that's where I, to me, this is one of the most callous cases I've ever heard of not yeah. because she was swindling, you know, some old lady of her life savings or something mm-hmm. like in a Ponzi scheme, but she didn't give a shit about throwing her own children under the bus. She didn't. And that that right there is is okay. something that's well, exactly. Yeah. Without and without. We talk about and, that. And
3: without it, yeah, because that's what makes this. It's one of the many things that makes this fascinating is that she's not just a typical con artist. You know, there are low-level grifters that are like view themselves as Robin Hood. It's like, I'm I'm only gonna take from people who can afford it, or I'm gonna take it's not my problem that they were stupid enough to fall for this, and I'm just gonna this will be enough money for me to get through the week. This woman is dealing with huge amounts of money and completely callous and and not concerned about the the wreckage that she leaves in her wake. I mean, I I agree with Shiloh about the callousness in combination with the strategy, like I'm really impressed by the strategy that mm-hmm. she uses. Mm-hmm. It really is impressive. Mm-hmm. It gets a little sloppy. And I'm, the only reason I can make these sort of comments is because you do such a great job of laying everything out. Like, I mean, I'm seeing a PowerPoint in my brain as I'm listening to you oh, over the episodes yeah. as far yeah. as all the 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 records. Um, But I will say this. This is my view on... And I'm doing big air quotes here of victimhood. And I I get that this is a huge commercial bank. It's a corporate entity and direct monies were not stolen from an individual. in as far as the bank is concerned, but, you know, these kind of crimes end up having enormous trickle down effects um, on future, for, excuse me, on future potential consumers at the bank that may very well be. Uh, a startup company that is putting all their money into a great idea. And are they going to have the chance to do it because somebody else really ripped the bank off four months ago? Um, and then, you know, you're able to show, like you were saying, the people that were involved that in, intimately with you, they came out relatively OK and their careers seemed to be OK. They they were able to salvage and maybe even expand their livelihoods. But, you know, that was only by a Harris breadth that could have could have really taking the toll on everybody, yourself included, and, and in, fact, in fact, many people that we're not even aware of. So I do think that the, the victimology actually speaks to a bigger problem economically in our country, because, you know, for people who are working with large sums of money, they'll talk about it. They'll talk about money as if it's this intangible thing, which to an extent money doesn't exist. Mm -hmm. It's the idea and the value that we place on money. And you have to think about it that way in order to make these big things happen. But if you go too far to that side, you forget that there are little people on the street that, you know, really are affected by this.
2: Yeah. And I I love that point you made. Yes. But I, I, I absolutely appreciate that you make that point and you're absolutely right. When a bank gets ripped off for 15 million, it's a big deal. And there are trickle down effects, meaning there are policy changes. And like you said, to your point, It could be very possible that a very small business, a startup that's just getting started can't get the capital they need, you know, because that happened and the policy changed and the bank is more strict and more, you know, whatever. So there are definitely all these after effects that we don't really know. We can't really quantify, but but they are there. And um, I'm going to pivot a little bit because I had a thought, you know, when we talk about. Mary Carol and 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 just the callousness and that she didn't give a shit and she she used her own sons and didn't care that they were on the hook for millions of dollars that could wreck and did wreck their lives for many for many years so you know serial killers do that too right so like BTK he did all this damage he had a family at home he didn't give a shit about the kids who lost their parents and he actually killed kids too and he had his own children he didn't care about how it affected them or anything. So I guess, you know, do, do con artists and like serial killers potentially share some traits and disorders in common that allow them to do those things uh, and, and sleep at night, I guess.
1: Yeah. So let me lay out maybe three prongs that we see in con artists. And then we can kind of apply that to like, well, what fits with serial killers? Um, Because there's, there's definitely some overlap and there's some uniqueness to con artists and people who have a different motive to what their crimes are, in this case, usually money, right? So with con artists, the research shows that what's going on is what they call the dark triad. And it's three components of psychological phenomenon, not all of... These three components are actual diagnoses that are um, something that a psychologist can pull out of our DSM, which is the big diagnostic manual that we use, and label somebody with. However, there's enough research to show that these are phenomenon. They are traits that exist within a certain number of people, a very small percentage of people. So the first one is psychopathy, um, which makes perfect sense. Um, this is not an official diagnosis. But there has been a ton of research done on psychopathy that allows us to measure certain associated traits in someone and then say, okay, if there's enough traits present, boom, you meet the criteria for a psychopath. And it has to be really, it's, it's a really high standard. There has to be a lot of traits met. And the traits are both behavioral. There's there's sort of a category of behavioral and there's a category of what we call affect, which is how they sort of present themselves to the world. Mm-hmm. So it might not be a behavior they're doing necessarily, but it's, it's the vibe that you get. It's the persona that they put on. So the affect traits could be um, things that you see like superficial charm and maybe maybe they're kind of glib about things. Um, but also they, underneath it all are callous. They're lacking empathy. They don't have that emotional depth. Um, and then some of the behavioral stuff that you'll see, there's there's a ton of different traits, but just for time purposes, pathological lying <laughs> is right up there. Yep. Um, impulsivity, as well as uh, a really diverse criminal background. So usually you'll see crimes against people, maybe some fraud cases, maybe some theft, maybe depending on whatever their motive is, they'll be very diverse in their background of crime. And then another one is pretty telling. It's, we just call it the parasitic lifestyle, which is interesting for con artists because that's what they're doing. They're just living off of others. We're trying to dupe others to then carry them through life financially. Yes, yes. So, but it could be someone who's just like, a succubus, you know, living at home forever, having their parents pay for them, that could be parasitic too. Got or, it. or latching onto a romantic partner to just carry them through. It doesn't have to be these big schemes. Sure. Um, but essentially that—that that, that's psycho- psychopathy in a nutshell, but that's really where we see the, the um, they don't have that connectivity to be able to relate to other people's um emotions and experiences and that's something that is we uh, the best research shows that that is three-pronged and two of those are biological and one of them is more of a um nurture rather than nature but we see And which uh, one is that so there's that would be usually we see severe childhood abuse okay um, but they have to already have the markers of a particular brain structure as well as genetics going on. And it's a very specific gene that's identified in psychopaths. Um they call it the warrior Gene. It's the m a o a gene is the the um, acronym for the big long word that I can't pronounce because I'm not a medical doctor. but <laughs> but they call it the warrior gene because it's responsible for aggression and lack of behavioral control. So I would say that is probably more pronounced in our serial killers when violence is involved. Um, However, the um, the brain structure component we would see in both because that is going to be where our our brains would light up when we see someone sad and it would tap into our emotionality. That doesn't light up for them. There's a literal um lack of connection like a connectivity the
3: neurons right. are just not firing wow yes yeah.
1: yes Ugh. or it might be crosswired in a way to actually trigger something else um right. it might be actual like pleasure for seeing someone suffer mm. um so there is when, you know people talk about like crosswiring or not wired that way that that is actually what what's happening real. what's going on
2: yeah oh my gosh that is so fascinating and you know that answers the that may answer the question of because one of the biggest questions we get asked when we start talking about these con artists especially mary carol just with the complexity of it it's like how does she sleep how does she do this and sleep at night and wake up <laughs> the next go. day and face the same people she's ripping off and it's just because the neurons are not yeah she's so fine, she's not she's going
3: and remember, yeah. we're we're talking about a number of fa- we are sure. conjecturing about a number of factors. You know, we're giving you an overview of of the dark triad, um, not necessarily saying that we're diagnosing her. Well, clearly, we're not diagnosing her. Yeah, because you've we're never in your life,
2: right? Right.
3: Yeah, but we're talking about like in in these situations when these individuals act in this way, it is built upon evidence that there is a likelihood of da 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 da. So you know, one of the other. Um, stool legs of what Dr. Shiloh is talking about in this triad is narcissism. And, you know, we we toss around the word narcissism in pop culture and pop media. We toss it around a lot without really understanding what it is. And it's another, it is actually in the DSM as a personality disorder. And we look at it as part of a spectrum, um, a number of personality disorders that fall in the area of dramatic exposition or dramatic expression, um, even if that dramatic expression is covert or sort of under the wire, like most, it's not like somebody's dancing around and waving their hands all the time, but they're doing things to draw attention to themselves based on a particular need. So when we talk about narcissistic personality disorder, this is where individuals, you know, for the, like, this is sort of a textbook definition. These people have an expansive internal sense of their own importance a really deep need for attention and validation from out, out outside sources you know not there's there's not really necessarily for all the bravado there's not a solid internal sense of self so it has to be validated from the outside meaning excessive admiration excessive um attention they have a string of troubled relationships very very difficult for them to have long-term intimate successful relationships and they're also marked by a significant lack of empathy for others because why would they have any empathy for others when they're the most important part of this um equation so the the more profound understanding of narcissism also is that it's not um necessarily an illness of structure or organicity within the body but it's a virtual black hole within that person's identity. There is just this, a deficit of personality. There is a deficit of character in this person. And because like we talk about, um, what is it in physics? They say that nature abhors a vacuum. It's the same thing with this particular area of personality disorders. They're black holes of emotional need that will use and in in a case like a con artist, they're using that as a superpower to manipulate the people around them.
2: Oh my gosh, that is so deep and interesting. And and would I be wrong in saying like a narcissist the the to feel the to fill the black hole is almost like their defense mechanism to for the emptiness. Absolutely. Oh my gosh. It, 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 you know what I felt when you were saying that when you were describing a narcissist. I mean, I actually felt really sad. Like, what yeah. a bleak existence, right? To exist. Absolutely. Oh my god.
3: Despite the fact that they can cause unbelievable wreckage, because yes. narcissists tend to go through. We have a lot of narcissists in our culture, in our world, currently and historically, that hold high positions. You know, one of the sayings about politics is um, politics is Hollywood for ugly people. Oh so, gosh. you know, yes. you can't. I mean, I know that's a harsh saying. No, but, but like,
2: I, I think it's there's yeah, a certain
3: amount of healthy narcissism that says, hey, I have the ability to make a change in the world and I'm going to surround myself with smart people and I'm a good leader and I think I can do this. Mm-hmm. But that's not what draws people and the majority of people into politics. And I'm not saying, I'm thinking across the board, across the spectrum, there's a level of narcissism that tells you that you're going to be the one that can run for this high position in government and change things, because that's just not realistic. That's almost delusional.
2: Right, right. And, you know, I've heard that, you know, just in casual conversation, and I have nothing to back this up, but I have heard people say more than once, kind of like there's got to be a lot of narcissists. Holding, you know, political office, high, high positions. There's got to be a lot of narcissists who are CEOs of big corporations. I could be totally wrong, but I don't know. Well, psychopaths, Uh, like that's
1: something that's attributed is the psychopathy, which, you know, it again, like if you take those traits and you're using them as superpowers and um, not for violent crime. I mean, you could see how that translates well, right? Like, you don't give a shit who you step over. To, you know, make your company the most successful or, you know, how close can you get to that line of, mm-hmm. you know, just well, even, um, building that? Yeah.
3: Yeah. So even like Dr. Shiloh is saying, even on a, a much more base functional level, you're you're at, and you're not talking out of your rear, Jamie. It's like there are studies like Fortune 500 companies look for antisocial personality disorder traits for potential high ranking employees. Why do you think that is? Do you have it just off the top of you? Why, why would that be a value? Why would that be a superpower?
2: Because in order to get things done on a high level, sometimes you're, you're inevitably going to have to step over and disappoint people to get it done. And be
3: okay with and it. And be
2: okay with it.
3: Yeah. yeah. So And then expanding on that, that's abs- you're absolutely right. The other part of it is that people with flavors of those disorders will take chances that the general population won't. Like, look, I, I, work in, I worked with some very hardcore individuals when I worked in the prisons, when I worked in the jails. I have a very difficult caseload We're working um, in, in conjunction with um, law enforcement right now. But the idea of taking a job at a Fortune 500 company and my decisions on a daily basis are dealing with billions of dollars where I might complete, completely wipe out um, a hundred thousand elderly people's retirement savings. Yeah. That, that makes my balls shrink thinking yeah. about <laughs> that. Like I, <laughs> I could not do it.
1: Before I move on to Machiavellianism, I wanted you to talk about the link between narcissists and how they feel about their children, because it harkens oh, back to do. how Mary Carol oh, treats. Um,
3: that is that's a per- thank you for that. So and we'll we'll circle back around to this a little bit later as well. But, you know, when and not just narcissists, but when you have these one, two, three or all three care uh, things going on in your brain, which is like a lack of empathy a lack of compassion, um, the brain structure. The reality is, is that you don't see other people as actual people. You see yourself as a person. Everything else in your life is a, what we call a narcissistic extension. You know, you, you look at your kids as, in the same way you look at them as your hands. Well, wow. why wouldn't my hand do what it's supposed to do? It picks up this glass, it flexes, it opens, it twists, it changes. It's part of me. Of course, it's going to do what I tell it to do, what I want it to do. They view other people in their periphery exactly the same way. Mm. And children, especially, are narcissistic extensions. And it's not like, well, I'm doing this because it's best for my children. I'm doing what's best for me because what's best for me is best for my children. Mm. And the idea of something them being responsible for something. I mean, in a in a less toxic, like let's just say narcissism light, um, a parent can be really encouraging of their child athlete or their child performer, and really push them towards achieving because you are the best, you are talented. But then if you move that up the dial a little bit, then you get into being a stage mom or a, a dad coach. That is like, my kid's going to be the starter on this team, no matter what you go out there and you get in that coach's face and you tell him, coach, I'm going to start this week. You know, that kind of thing is where it gets to be really, really unhealthy.
2: And that's and where it feels you, self-serving, not yeah. for the child's benefit. It's for the parents own.
3: Exactly.
2: Yeah. Own narcissism, I guess.
3: Own Right. Yeah. So and if, then,
1: if your arm wasn't functioning and you didn't need it anymore. You might lop it off and a narcissist could just, okay, my child is not serving the needs of me anymore. So boom, there you go. How do you, how can I throw you under the bus to get my needs met? Or can I just cut you off because I no longer need you?
2: Wow.
1: I I, never
3: had, I never saw you as a person anyway. I never had emotional investment in you anyway. So why wouldn't I lop you off? Because I'm just going to grow another one. I'm going to find somebody else that's going to meet that need
2: that that this is and again my wheels are spinning with this conversation because again we're not diagnosing Mary Carol we can't we, we're not here to do that but when i just think about what i know about Mary Carol and how she did put her sons in a really bad position and it did not work out in their favor and they were liable for millions of dollars um and now from what i understand they are no longer speaking to her and who knows where she is and there was another prong to that um So it all just it all kind of like makes sense as to what you just said, sort of like, okay, I kind of used you like I would use my hand, for example, um, and now you are no longer serving me. So I guess this is where we part ways. And who knows? I I can't say whether she sleeps at night. Well, uh, after her sons don't speak, speak with her. I imagine she probably does. But that's just me, you know, guessing. Yeah, Uh, Yeah, it's all very interesting.
3: you know, as as somebody who still I mean, I have a private practice on the side as well as my, my day job with community mental health um, and working with the children, the adult children of narcissists is one of the most heartbreaking things ever. I mean, it really is. It's almost more heartbreaking than somebody that experienced physical abuse, because there's something about the physicality of the abuse that. You know, in certain cases, we can build resilience and we can move past that. But when when children grow up into adults with this dynamic within themselves, because they know something's up with their parents, they mm-hmm. figure it out on an unconscious level very early, That like mommy's needs come before mine, daddy's needs come before mine. And as a parent, as both of you are parents, you both know that that's just not the way you raise kids, you don't. You raise kids, letting them be your North Star, you know, that you, because you want to lay the groundwork for them to have a great life. So imagine that just being completely flipped. And then, you know, that's what keeps therapists in business, let me tell
2: you. Yeah. I, I believe you when you challenge. say that. And it's, it, I imagine it just feels like almost like not even having a parent at all. You know, sure. like I, I have somebody in my life who, who doesn't know for sure this person's not diagnosed, but they, claim that they were raised by a narcissist narcissistic mother and uh gosh it's heartbreaking to watch Mm. and to listen to and the damage is is there and it will always be there and there is no the child who's now an adult always has this need of well let me just still call her on her birthday let me still like go visit and they never get what they want they never get it
3: the the image I use is you're constantly going to the empty well. Yeah. You've loaded up your buckets. You're walking five miles to the well to refill the buckets and there's never water there. And I hate, I mean, I hate to sound completely concrete about it. There will never be water there. Right. And in case anybody, anybody that's listening that's interested, there's a wonderful book out there called The Children of the Self-Involved. You know, they don't want to, they don't want to kind of bluntly say that it's um narcissists, but children, the self-involved is a great resource to start exploring those kind of challenges. If you grew up in a, a non-validating household.
2: Oh my gosh. Yeah. And you're right. Um, narcissism and narcissistic. I mean, that, that word is like a really big buzzword Yeah, uh, with the popularity of true crime. And I think it's, it's applied and, and people don't really, you know, it's, it's, it's flippantly, you know, said, and we don't really know if it applies or not, but it is a fascinating conversation and we're all learning so much more about it. And and when I hear you guys do a deep dive on what it actually is, I mean, I can't help but go back and think about Mary Carol McDonald and potentially if it does apply, you know, certainly some of the uh, some of her affect going back to psychopathy. I mean, again, mm-hmm. we're not diagnosing, but but part of her affect, you know, the charm, you said something about like magnetism. or Oh my gosh. And and then of course, I can't help this because I'm a true crime podcaster, but I also think about Ted Bundy, like, you know, Ted Bundy was able to, and you guys will will be able to say this more eloquently than I can, but in my mind, like he knew how to mimic how a typical person might behave in like a social environment. It's almost like he was like, an actor or like a robot, like, okay, turn normal person on. But then when he would like go home at night and be him, his normal self, he was probably exhausted by it because he was not even, that's not really him, but he was, doesn't it sound like so much work? It sounds like so much work because they have to really try to fake it, to make it out, you know, because that's not them. They are not actually like super charming and loving people. They are like fake. They're charming ish, fake. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> well, it's that's the thing you learn when you go into forensic psychology
1: and you're actually doing work with offenders is if you are able to assess someone and use the care psychopathy checklist and someone scores high on psychopathy, they are one of the only populations that the recommendation for treatment is no treatment. Because if you put them in a group with other people and other offenders. They will sit there and just learn how to be a better offender or how to play the game, like how to placate the psychologist, how to, you know, say what they have to say to get by and to, you know, get uh, glowing notes and reviews, um, or they will also start victimizing other people in the group. They'll start picking out the weak and the vulnerable and who can I manipulate to be my friend that I will then screw over at it. some yeah. point. Yeah. Going
3: back to that, that idea of the deficit, that black hole. So the individual is sitting there in group and he's watching um, individual. uh, John Smith over here is interacting with Dr. Scott and John Smith tells a particularly traumatic story. And I see a change in Dr. Scott's expression. Oh, that Mm -hmm. rang a bell that touched Dr. Scott. I'm going to file this away because this kind of story gets a reaction from people that's literally the process that they're, they're learning. So wow. we kind of, they did this, they did a story arc on this at the very end with uh, Tony Soprano and the Sopranos where, um, Dr. Melvie's supervisor completely calls her. is like, who are you to think that you can treat a sociopath? Like you're crazy. If you think you can treat him, he's learning from you. He's learning how to be a better monster. You know, I'm paraphrasing the script, but sure. it's one of the reasons. Like Shiloh was saying, we don't recommend treatment for it.
2: See, that is is so fascinating, and it makes perfect sense to me because now I've started listening to all these other like con artists podcasts, mm-hmm. and almost every single one of them, you know, if they get caught, they do some time, but they're s- literally still manipulating and conning from prison after prison. It never stops. It's what they do, and I don't want to go as, so far as to say. They almost can't help it, but like, can they almost not help it because they're the way their brain is wired or not wired? Well, can you imagine the work they would have to, they have to
1: have the insight to say this is problematic and I need to change. And now I need to go to therapy and work on that. But that's the catch, the catch 22, right? They're not going to ever say that they are disordered or doing things wrong. I just got caught this time. So So that would be a really hard hard chain to break. Um, Wow! There is one more prong to the deadly triad, and that's Machiavellianism. Mm. So again, this isn't an official diagnosis. Uh, There is a um, assessment out there. Actually, it's available online. If anyone wants to go take the Machiavellianist (laughs) self test, where can can. we take this test? (laughs) I have a link. I'll send it to you. You can put it in the notes if you want. (laughs) I will. I will. Um, But this is like the core of the ruthlessness that con artists have in order to manipulate and exploit other people to usually again, gain financial means. Um, they are very, very good liars, especially people who score really high on the assessment are just much better liars. They're very deliberate planners. Um, and that's all for the manipulation. So it's interesting because when you you look at these individuals and we, we research the way that they sort of view the world and other people, it's very pessimistic. They think people are super dumbass, gullible individuals that deserve to be taken advantage of um, and just their sense of selfishness is just through the roof. But this is that one little last component where they're just ruthless. That's the word that I attribute. Okay, that's
2: fascinating you just use the word planner like they are planners okay so again yes. i'm thinking about mary carol and again don't know if this applies but so mary Carroll, her as you know by listening to the podcast her schemes and scams are elaborate they are mm, complex they, they are over a number of decades and so many moving they're parts.
3: gone girl level
2: Absolutely. And so another question that I get from listeners and I think myself too, is how in the hell did she keep it all together? All these moving Mm -hmm. parts. It's impressive to use your word, Scott. And I've said that about her before. It's as impressive as it is disgusting. Now, you know, could potentially a con artist who does orchestrate you know these elaborate schemes and that takes all these planning all this planning and is that part of some of them could it potentially be part of what they get off on like they love that they are the orchestrator of something so complex with so many moving parts
1: there's not research to support that okay Um, and what I think that's about is you know in our mind we're sitting them like Sitting back in their chair with this maniacal laugh, going, ha ha ha, look at all the things I pulled off. Um, And I think that's just us trying to wrap our normal brains Mm. around a very abnormal person. Um, You know, each of these parts are a means to an end. Like, what is their goal? And they are just laser focused on their goal. And I think it's a lot of traits that you do see in very um, successful people that are able to sort of think so many steps ahead that just have a mind that's able to do that. So maybe that's another component is just kind of the, um, you know, the, the cognitive functioning level that these people are at, you know, I don't know, maybe it has to do with like um, visual, spatial, you know, superpowers. There's so many different ways in which our brains function. And maybe there is a link there somewhere with like neuroscience of um, how they're just better at some of these planning skills. But, you know, I think, again, we're just kind of projecting our own thoughts onto them. And it's just at the end of the day, it's to get what they want. Yeah.
3: Yeah. yeah you're right. Because we we can try and pull it apart. But then again, it's 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 like when um, it's one of the reasons true crime is such a popular uh, genre is it's the the actions of these criminals are so alien to us that Are relatively normal that we will constantly dose on it. Like, well, let me go listen to another story of somebody that you know chopped her husband up and put him in concrete. You know, because I just can't figure figure out why you would go to that end. But like Shiloh was saying, there's so many moving parts. I like to use this visual, and this is how old I am. So hopefully, your younger audience will (laughs) get this. But like the old vaudeville or circus act where the acrobat or magician has all these plates spinning on stage. And like we're talking, you know, if you watch old news reels or, you know, old silent movies, it'll be like someone who has 12 plates spinning on sticks and every time one of them starts to wobble, they go and they give it a slap to get it going again, and you're just wondering like, oh my gosh, how is this person managing all these different moving parts? And this makes me wonder and like I said I wish there was research on this, but I'm clinically curious about what that characterological deficit that I was talking about earlier. And, you know, it's a brain structure, it's a difference in the amygdala, in the limbic system about how we um, get stimulated, how we um, mirror other people's emotions, how we're affected by our own emotional process. And I wonder if that deficit in them just requires a higher level of stimulation. So somebody that's running 15 scams at once that has how many LLCs did she have going across the country at one time? I mean, exactly, over 20. Think about like that. If you don't have a normal range of functioning emotions, but you do need some kind of stimulation, that could have been really exciting for her on some Mm -hmm. level. You know, one of the things we know about really high functioning psychopaths Um, Shiloh, who's the, the researcher that found out he was a psychopath, uh,
1: Dr. James Fallon, not Jimmy Fallon. Okay. Thank (laughs) you.
3: So Dr. James Fallon is a fascinating guy. He's, I think he's a neuropsychologist. Um, and he got this funding for an amazing, um, plan. He went all through California department of corrections And got people to give permission, like lifer criminals, people who have done horrible things. And he did brain scans on all of them. And it's one of the reasons that we know how, why so many people that are involved in intimate partner violence have a history of traumatic brain injury that affects their impulsivity and ability to control their emotions. But what he found was this correlation between aspd antisocial personality disorder or psychopathy and this particular brain structure and guess what else he found out oh shit i have it too wow he looked at it and he was like trying to figure out well like i'm a successful doctor researcher mm-hmm. i have a great life i have a wonderful family that i quote unquote love but i have this brain structure
1: and he also and then, has so the genetic started, marker he had the warrior gene too oh, oh the warrior! wow gene.
3: So what he found what you know, what he found out through his research is that the people who come from solid family units Mm. and don't have a history of trauma, sort of like Dexter was written, like Dexter was given a code in that fictional TV show. Like you're okay, you have to kill people, but you can kill them in a certain way and at certain times. And, you know, here's the code you have to follow. And the one thing that Dr. Fallon identified that he immediately recognized, oh, I know what I did. That was definitely the trait. is I was always trying to get people to do dangerous things with me. Mm. I wanted my friends who were terrified of mountain climbing. I wanted them to go mountain climbing with me. I wanted them to go uh, base jumping or skydiving or when he was a teenager and he wanted to go out and, you know, party really hard. He was always trying to instigate other people into it. Uh-huh. And that was how he was able to recognize, like, oh, this is where that stuff leaked through, even though I had this really cool container from my family yes. and upbringing. So yes. Anyway, I'm oh, just wow. fascinated by it. Like, I think that an, uh, the con artist gets a thrill off of it. There's mm-hmm. a mastery of like, I'm smarter than everybody else. Look at what I've got going and how stupid these little people are that keep falling for my stuff. Like, how stupid are they?
2: Oh my gosh, that is fascinating. And now that you tell me about uh, Dr. Fallon, I think I heard that on a podcast quite a while ago and I was so fascinated by it because he identified those in his own self. Mm -hmm. Um, Now, so Mary Carroll, obviously something that we have to to talk about is something that Mary Carol did that I will never get over. And I had a theory at first and now I've changed that theory, but I would love to hear, you know, You guys talk about it. Um, You know, Mary Carol, right before she ripped the bank off for $15 million, she supposedly knew the whole time. And I would imagine she knew the whole time she was ripping them off. She was going to run with the money and never pay it back. But right before she did it, she came in and showed her face when she absolutely didn't have to in front of all the bankers. And she brought us, quote unquote, you know, homemade pies. Mm -hmm. Now, that was the one and only time that I met Mary Carol. And at first, once (laughs) I dove into... Her history. I was like, that bitch just wanted to, you know, shove it in our face. Like, ah, ha, ha, I'm going to rip you off. And here's these pies. And I'm showing my face just to get a thrill. But then the more I thought about it, I'm like, well, I also know that she had a strategy and she was desperate for that money at the time. She needed that money to keep going. If she did not get that 15 million, she was going to be fucked, quite literally. Yeah. And so, she like for me. I'm thinking, okay. So the pies were a strategy, almost like a cherry on top. Like I was got- to
3: disarm you.
2: Yes, disarm these people. I've got to get them over the finish line to approve this loan because there was still a chance maybe we weren't going to approve it. The bank wasn't going to. So mm-hmm. like, let me bring these pies in as one last ditch effort, like a cherry on top. Disarm these people. Show them that I'm a good person, so they can approve that 15 million, so I can get my hands on it and bail. Like. I don't know. what are your thoughts about the damn pies?
3: Okay.
2: <laughs> Scott's ready. Scott, ready
3: let's go. No, I mean, you
2: and I were talking about this, you know, ahead of time in the email. you said, I got a lot to say about those pies.
3: <laughs> well i was I was telling Shiloh, that um the way I prepared, you know, we we have so many strategies since we work full time, we have different strategies for how we prepare for our show. and, when it's possible. Like, you know, what I've been doing is I've been marathoning all of your this podcast um on time and a quarter while I'm doing my cardio at the gym. Wow. So I listen to it on my iPad, and then I have my phone in my hand on notes, an audio. Ah, so yes. So I can scream notes to myself over the blaring dance music. He's that guy so, at the gym. So for, for I, I'm that guy at the gym. So anybody in the last three weeks that's been at Hollywood Golds. That has seen some sweaty middle-aged white guy screaming "fucking pies" into his phone. That was me. That is me. I'm only relatively uh, unhinged, but I, I do have some things about the pies that I think are fascinating. I mean, okay. I would this some conjecture. One is that um is a little bit hooey. I mean, a little bit woo-woo stuff, but. Look, real estate agents, this is a tactic real estate agents use all the time. You either put vanilla in the oven, you know, and keep it on warm. So it smells like cookies are there or you put cookies out that are strongly that have vanilla. So why vanilla and why butter and those smells? Because in Western culture, we associate those with Western foods, with Western dessert and with hospitality. Mm -hmm. So it's why also one of the reasons that so many colognes that are used in the West have an undertone of vanilla, no matter what else, you know, whether it's a men's cologne or a woman's cologne, there's almost always an essence of vanilla under there. So it's a technique to disarm. I say this very often. I grew up in very modest means in the rural South, rural, rural-ish South. Um, and, um, you know, I didn't have a lot of interaction with super rich people until I moved away, went to Chicago, then came to L.A. And I know some people that were born into money and have had money in their family for generations. And I know some people who have worked very hard and are super, super wealthy but this is what i've observed is and this is anecdotal this is my opinion but in my dealings with very very wealthy people you get to a point where you don't cook you really don't you do not cook because there are other things you're going to do with your time and for people who are wealthy because of the work that they do because they have to work at generating wealth and then managing the wealth that they have generated, it's very few of those that cook. I mean, even Martha Stewart doesn't do all that. You know, when you watch her shows, everything has been prepped. Now, she's Mm -hmm. a genius. She's very smart. She's surrounded by great people. She curates all these great ideas, but she's not there going through 18 recipes of, you know, uh, chocolate chiffon pies to decide Mm -hmm. which one is going to be the best. Also went, also, also went went to, to prison. Also went to prison.
2: Female who Love went her to prison. Love Yes, yes. <laughs> um,
3: so the idea, that's interesting to me because I, I like to think that some I have a red flag um, waving in my head sometimes. I would like to have thought that I would have looked at her and gone, wait, mm. she's got the, the Fendi, was it a Fendi bag?
1: Birkin bag. A
3: Birkin bag. <laughs> <laughs> so Birkin, this up, is God. a wealthy woman. A she's got... 25 LLC. She's a major pusher. She comes from old money and she's going to make us pies. That would have, to me, that would have, I think would have sent something like ringing. That's the first thing
1: I thought, like in the very earliest episode, when you just sort of say it, like as part of the story, you don't hone in on it. I was like, bullshit. Like what? Um, She would, I would have expected a woman that rich to go buy the best pie in Los Angeles, have it delivered. bring exactly. it to you guys, or have it delivered uh, right. with that label and then, on the and box. Then said, hey, yes,
3: the, I got brought this to you from Cake Monkey. This is the best, or this is from yeah. Jones on Third. This is from Little John's Toffee House in the Farmers Market. You're Scott gonna knows love his these.
2: God, I uh, could I know just rattle off so many. Well, uh. okay, so that that <laughs> I love that you guys said that because if you recall from the podcast. I did think it was odd. You know, we were sitting in it when I, when, when my colleague announced that Mary Carroll, this successful, in quote, CEO of a TV production company, this heiress, this, I thought more than once in my head, this doesn't make sense. Yeah. The whole thing didn't, like you lay out. Yeah. You're right. It did not, it did not line up. It made my gut instinct was, there's just, it's off. What, why? She doesn't have to do this. No clients come here anyway. Why would she out of all people? And um, so that's interesting. And then, you know, I spoke with, you know, ever since we launched the podcast, you know, I'm getting DMs and emails on a weekly basis from people who knew her, who have information. And it's so fascinating. And one person reached out. So without giving out identity or anything, and I thought it was interesting what they had to say, because this person Met with Mary Carol numerous times, um, uh, went into her house, met her kids, everything, and he, this person is just your average, everyday Joe, like all of it, like just really like just does not seem like a person who would be like such close friends with an heiress with a with a CEO of a company, right? You know, and this person realized after a numerous interactions with Mary Carol, They said to themselves, Why the fuck does an heiress wanna hang out with me? Why, what, what is she doing with a person like me? And not, not to that, that these are,
3: that's very insightful. And
2: it's so insightful. And it was at that moment that this person was like, Something's up. Something Mm -hmm. is up. I, she should not be, she should have people who reach out to me. And like, why, why is she bringing me into her inner circle? This makes zero sense. And I just thought, you know what? Exactly. And that that is the moment when this person was like, something's off. And they started Googling her and, and all. And so that's yeah. when we kind of found out, whoa, she's actually like not a good person.
1: Well, that's so, interesting because I think we've seen that in other cases, right? Where yeah. these con artists like latch on to someone that's almost like be my fake friend for the month or whatever. And that person is so swept up. In one, having money spent on them and that this important person would be their friend and choose them, right? Makes Bingo. them feel special, yes. which is part of what they do with their con and their um, psychology. But I think the question still lingers. What's the the why? Like, we know the how and how they're going about it. But why was she having this guy hang around?
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and
1: there was
3: something sense? there was absolutely something that she saw. Yes. That yes. could that she could thought or or you know what let me even go so far as to think that maybe there's some level some minute molecule of humanity left in her right that just needed somebody to relate to that's always a possibility too mm-hmm. but you know it is a big red flag it's like the the example I give many times I have a, an acquaintance in my hometown who is um. A person struggling with an accident disability that used to work in public service. And like he wanted to go into this area of public service. That's all he ever wanted to as a kid. He wanted to do this, do this, do this. And like within the first three years of working there, he got a severe injury and his whole life changed. And this is, you talk about an average Joe. This is an average Joe who has now been the victim of a romance scam for 10 years. And he has given. (sighs) Hundreds of thousands of dollars to a quote unquote model Uh, that he's never met, that he's never talked to. And he, to this day, believes that they are going to be together, that she is going to move to Huntsville, Alabama to move into his trailer and they're going to live together.
2: Yeah.
3: So there's a level of if we don't have insight into our own potholes and where we misstep then we set ourselves up to be vulnerable and gullible and victims to people that are experts at manipulation.
2: Absolutely. And, you know, to that point, it's just and again, I I really do believe that just about anybody is susceptible to becoming the victim of any number of scams. Right. And and it sucks because I think that there's such a stigma of you know, many victims of scam artists don't want to come forward and they don't ever come forward because right. they're, they're ashamed. They feel stupid. They beat themselves up over it. Um, but man, these these people are so good. And I think that there's something in the human, the typical human brain, you know, that we want to trust people. We want to connect with people. And when we do, we pull them close. And if, if you know, a couple of years into our so-called friendship, you know, this person's like, oh, you know, I need some money for this. I'll get you back in a week, you know, or that, you know, and then it ends up being a scam. It's just, it's so easy to fall in love with these people to, to get connected with them and then boom. And that is when they, they know how to move in at that very moment um, and scam you. And it doesn't mean you're stupid. I mean, Mary Carol scammed very intelligent people. Mm -hmm. Some of them I knew myself. Uh, Some of them were attorneys. I, I just, so you're not well, look stupid. at Elizabeth Holmes. That's right. That's right. She scammed. Oh my brilliant gosh, people, <laughs> brilliant people into giving her millions and millions of dollars. So you're exactly right and great point. Um, something I find fascinating about Mary Carroll in particular and her, you know, this case in general is that not only is it a female scam artist, I think that that's more rare. You know, I, th- I think that the large majority it's it's men, you know, kind of pulling the strings on these scams. That is fascinating, but also that. She was actually able to get other successful, highly powerful men to go below her and work below her Mm -hmm. as part of her scheme. Like she was on top. You know, she's always been the queen bee of her scams, and she pulls these men in, like lawyers, and to write letters on her behalf to say that she's this heiress and this and that. So It's just so fascinating that it's a woman who seems to have been always at the top and pulls these men in and uses them as part of her scam, or at least that's the way it seems. And I think that that seems um, pretty rare.
1: Yeah, I imagine they would have to have seen that they were going to benefit from this somehow as well, Mm -hmm. you know, um, that on the back end, that there was going to be money that be filtered their way. So especially when you look at like these. These gifting schemes yes. or the Ponzi, not Ponzi schemes so much, but when you have other people sort of involved to a lesser degree in some sort of pyramid, everyone kind of thinks of themselves as like higher up on the pyramid, right? So there's sure. people below me. I I might not be Mary Carol at the tip, but I'm higher up here where I'm going to get paid too. Um, but I think she had a lot of intelligence, a lot of bona fides that she was able to show These people that she was successful, they didn't see what was happening behind the curtain because she was very good at hiding that she's, you know, stealing here to pay there. Um, So she showed them what they wanted to see, I'm sure, in a lot of ways and just trusted in her in her
2: intelligence.
3: Yeah, I I also wanted to add to the people that were slightly below the attorney level as far as like um, not necessarily conspirators, but, you know, her support network and this goes back to having worked in entertainment in production and post-production at the end of my entertainment career, is that she was running a scam on all of her employees as well Mm -hmm. because reality television in Hollywood is built on on a lot of hard work with not a lot of pay. But what do you get? You get a producer credit. Like, you'll be able to go away from that and say, well, I did... three seasons of Meemaw's Who Murder. Yeah. And it was like the second highest rated on whatever network. And they, that's how you get up, get a leg up in entertainment. It's not like the corporate world where you get a really pretty solid, at least living wage when you start out. And then you're just going to consistently move up, move up, move up. In entertainment, they expect you to, to live on nothing um, and, and work your ass off. And then you create this foundation, this sort of um, virtual uh, portfolio of the work that you've done that you then move through entertainment with. And I think that she saw that and exploited it really successfully for quite a while.
2: Great point. And I think that you're right, based on the people who I've spoken with who worked for her at Bellum, I think that you just made a great point. And I think that she knew that and she did it and she took advantage of the fact that These people would do the work to get a producer credit and this and that. And she, you know, and she could get away with, you know, saying, oh, look, the check, you know, I'll get you a check next week or this or that, you know, whatever her excuse was. She knew that going into it, I think, Um, you know, going into building Bellum Entertainment. She knew that But it, it, it just it fascinates me that she could have done this all legit. Right. She had experience. Absolutely. She could have had a comfortable life being the VP of Raycom media being, you know, but but if she has some disorders slash certain traits about her personality, uh, you know, then maybe that is what prohibited her to from doing it the right way, because that's just not how her brain works operates potentially, right. you know, it's just so fascinating. I do have a lot, la- one parting question for you guys, but I would love if you guys have any comments or questions as well. Um, I have you know, one.
3: I definitely have one. <laughs> okay, <you> good.
2: <laughs> good. Uh, so if somebody is a narcissist and, or, you know, psychopath, you know, and they found out there was a podcast all about them, but it's not so good. It's not painting them in the best light. Do you think they would listen?
3: Absolutely. (laughs) Absolutely. Without a doubt. (laughs) There's no, there's no bad publicity there for (gasps) them. There's no bad publicity. Wow. You know, at, at worst they would go, Oh, well that's not accurate. What I actually did was the da, 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 da.
1: Oh, right. And it's Intel gathering, right? So if she, how much do they know about me? Yeah. Is still on the run. How much were they able to dig up what's being put out there? Um, what is my next move? What do I possibly have to prepare for? Um, all of that. I think it's just Intel gathering, but yeah, I'm sure they love to see that their name in print too. Yeah. Interesting.
3: So, so I have a question please, for both of you. Where do you think she is right now? Just real quick. Where, where do you think mm. she is in the world?
2: I've landed on Dubai and, and I didn't think that as you know, as toward one of the later episodes of dirty money moves, I did not think. Because I thought, look, if she truly does not want to be found, why is she going to tell people exactly where she is? However, there are many reasons why Dubai is a great place um, to be, uh, you know, no extradition uh, treaty. Um, It's also kind of become sort of like a, I don't want to say safe haven, but like for people to go and have these shell companies and kind of like. You be know, untouchable. be untouchable. And I will say, and I hate to dangle this, but I, I I have to, and i and I have to be vague. Um, I did get some very important information recently that made me think Dubai is a okay. real possibility. Okay. I have a different I have, answer. And I've passed that I on to so. the FBI just so you know. I think
1: she's in the office next door to Jamie right now. <laughs> <laughs> listen bitch show your face
2: let's talk let's go what?
3: is that the vanilla ice cream?
2: Yeah. <laughs> Ooh, i have been smelling vanilla for quite mm. some time the con continues i
3: i i don't think that she's in dubai okay i, I don't i think, think that that was strategy i think that she, that was um little breadcrumbs that she dropped i think she's in some place That economically is a little still a little blurry, but there's a way that she could blend in. I think I I don't know where this is coming from. I think she's in one of two places. I think she's either in uh, Portugal. For a number of reasons about how you can it's it's a you can hide yourself very well in that country, Mm -hmm. Um, or she may be in a very rural area of the U.S., completely Mm -hmm. changed her look, changed her identity, and just sitting on a lot of money.
2: But, you know, she's also getting older. Yes. yes, she's
3: getting older. Like she's, you know, and con people tend to, you know, they reach a point where they don't have necessarily the, the energy, whether it's mental acuity or physical acuity, to keep these things up. So she may need to be someplace where there's medical care. So if she was in Portugal, there's like great socialized medicine there. She could have created a whole different identity. You know.
2: Well, just just throwing this out there. You know, her new husband, her third husband, uh, is a doctor now, and right. everybody thinks they're together. I have not been able to confirm that, but assuming he is with her, maybe he's taking care of her medical needs. Who knows? But um, I'm just making yeah. that up. But you know, Scott, I think that both of those options make sense. Rural America, Portugal, for numerous reasons. Um, and and I really do go. Back and forth, and it actually drives me crazy because that is the one question that yeah. is on everybody's minds who knows anything about this case is where is she and when is she going to be brought to justice? Which is why I wanted to bring that federal prosecutor on, Catherine, on that. Not that she could speak about Mary Carroll's case specifically, and she can't and she didn't, but um, just to sort of apply what some of what she said potentially to Mary Carroll's case and and mm-hmm. and form. More, maybe more solid theories, you know, which is exactly what I did after I spoke with her. And a lot of it made sense. A lot of what she said was like, okay, well, maybe that's the reason that this happened or didn't happen. Because my biggest thing, and of course, everybody's biggest frustration who has any investment in this story, especially her victims, is like, She's she was indicted more than three years ago. What is going on? Where? Why Shia. haven't they gotten her? Bring her in. You know, let's bring her to justice. But I understand, Yeah. you know, in a fairy tale, she would have already been perp walked. And, you know, in my mind, she's perp walked well, in an ugly jumpsuit. <laughs> totally. No makeup.
1: No
3: Shiloh Shilo educated me on this. I think we had a similar question a few years ago. And Shiloh made a really great point that. With a case this big. They want to make sure that they've got all the evidence that they need. They want to have an airtight case before they make any move, mm-hmm. because God forbid somebody that's done something this horrific gets away with it, you know, right. and then mm-hmm. it falls. It looks like the feds completely dropped the ball or whatever. So I think, you know, sometimes they, they do drop the ball sometimes or they'll like, OK, we'll let this sit for a couple of years or whatever. But they they may actually know way more than any of us will ever know that they know.
2: Yeah. We do. You're absolutely right. And it's a, it's a delicate situation and we cannot sit here and go, gosh, it's been three and a half years. They're not doing their job. I don't think that's the case based on my conversation with the federal prosecutor, based on a recent conversation I had with the lead FBI agent in Mary Carroll's case. Like, I mean, obviously they can't say much of anything, but just my hunch is that they are doing their job. It's just, mm-hmm. it, there are things at play that we are not privy to. Um, I do think they have an interest in, you know, getting justice or otherwise they would have not have, they would have not sought an indictment. They sought an indictment because they saw that they believe a crime has been committed and they want to bring this person to justice. Uh, so it's just, you know, more to this story, but you know, it is interesting because people do reach out to me, um, on a weekly basis. And, you know, like I said, recently, somebody reached out with something that I thought was pretty intriguing. And I, I felt like it was important. And well, I, I hope did, we get to hear more about that I, at some I, point. I would absolutely I cannot wait. Um, but the last thing that I want to do is get in the way yes. of uh, an investigation, right? right. The FBI, right. we all would just want her to be brought to justice. i I want to expose the story, expose Mary Carroll. And if I if I happen to be a receptacle of any information yeah. that's helpful, like I'm just passing it on to the For FBI sure. and and let's hope that something Helps, and we can see her brought to justice. So, gosh, you guys, I appreciate you coming on, spending the time with me. It's been so insightful. I think listeners are going to be eating this up, just like a homemade pie from Mary Carol. That's right. <laughs>
1: <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for having us, Jamie.
2: Appreciate Thank it. you, guys. Yes, you know, um so much.
1: Where can people find you before we go? Yeah, we so our podcast is LA Not So Confidential, the premier forensic psychology podcast. Find it anywhere you listen to your audio. We Just in June, started dropping weekly episodes for the last four and a half years. We've only been doing two a week, but we have ramped up uh, content. So we do two forensic psychology episodes a month. And then we also do a vintage noir case that we find fascinating and look at it from a historical, societal perspective. Um, And then we also started doing some documentary review episodes because Every time a new doc comes out, a true crime one, people are like, "What do you guys think?" And it's we up until now we've been like, "Well, that's not what we do," but now we do.
2: So it's it's
1: and, fun and having
3: a blast. It's yeah. so much fun. Well, yeah, because yeah. these
2: documentaries are so fascinating. You want to watch them anyway, and it's like, dude, I want to hear your thoughts on Michael Peterson. I mean, dude, right, yeah. right. So, so right. yeah, this we're gonna go
1: back look at some of those. You know. Those ones that are just like staples of the true crime uh, community and genre, but also some more obscure ones. So, um, but yeah, we're all
2: over social media, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, and we do a live stream once a month as well. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Everybody go subscribe to LA Not So Confidential podcast. Follow them on social media. They're rock stars. And you guys, thank you so much again. Thank you. Sure. Dirty Money Moves is a collaboration between Murderish and Cloud10 Media. Executive producers are myself, Jamie Rice, and Sim Sarna. Sean Bannon did the audio mixing and editing for this episode. Josh Cook composed the music. Brian Stefanik created the podcast cover art. And the podcast is co-produced by Cloud10 Media. Follow us at Dirty Money Moves on Instagram, TikTok, and Twitter. If you like the show, please do us the biggest favor by reviewing the podcast and leaving us five stars on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you're listening now, because even four stars isn't good enough for the heiress. If you're into true crime, check out my other podcast, Murderish. If you have information about this story that you'd like to share, please visit Murderish.com and hit the contact button to send us an email. Also, if you or anyone you know have been scammed or were the victim of a white-collar crime and you'd like help getting answers or justice, please contact us via Murderish.com. We're looking for cases to cover in Season 2 of Dirty Money Moves. Thanks for listening and see you next week for a brand new episode.